and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. Uh, we are a week away from the Combine. Does that feel like it snuck up on you, Nate, or no? I, I got to be honest. I, I feel like it's... I feel like it's time for the combine. It's been a while since we talked to anybody. Yeah, on some levels, I feel like it it always comes a little quicker than I was used to. I had to recalibrate once they moved to uh, 17 games. It's like it took out that week after the season. I think where you feel busy is if you go down to the Senior Bowl. Uh, we didn't go to the Senior Bowl, so it does feel like it's been a while since either we talked to anybody or really that anything has happened that – it's just been kind of quiet, I guess, in, in a good way with the Colts roster and you know, a couple of assistant coaching changes, but no coordinator hires, no head coaching hires, no quarterback trades, no talk of quarterback trades, no you know talk of trading up to the top pick in the draft type stuff. So it was like we kind of need the combine to get here to like provide the the news and the buzz and the and I don't know how much there'll be from that, but it's you know there's always some there's always stuff that comes out. There's always like it gets you kind of re-energized and, and refocused to like, oh, now it's like that's the symbol that it's like, oh, it's it's really draft season now. So, it, yeah, I'm I'm kind of ready to turn the page too. Yeah, and a lot of just kind of a, as a as a an inside baseball type thing. There's also like a, a part of it where you you can try to look into some free agency stuff um, pre the combine, but a lot of the answers you get are we're going to talk to them at the combine. Um, so, so even a lot of that stuff is a little bit hard to get like a firm grasp on. Obviously there's the Michael Pittman tag possibility. We, we did an entire podcast on Pittman, so I don't know if we're going to go back into that. I I think, I think the best way, um, to look at this is kind of like, how do we move this forward? Because like you just said, it's not a big change. Like Carson Wentz was traded on February 18th. Um, so going into that combine, it had already happened. That move had already happened. Um, the the year before that was the Philip Rivers combine. Like we were, everyone was, you, you, there was a lot of stuff going on with Philip Rivers and you know what the Colts were going to do at quarterback, that kind of thing. Uh, last year, um, it was very obvious we were going to be talking to them about like quarterback prospects. Quarterback has dominated and head coaching change. Obviously, last year there was also a head coaching change. By the time we talked to them at the combine. Um, Shane Steichen had been hired. A bunch of staff members had been hired. Um, the, the organization was in change. So there, a lot of stuff had happened. This, this is different. This is a team that has its quarterback, has its coach. So not a lot that's meaningful has happened to change from the last time we talked about Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen. We're going to try to, at least in this podcast, try to kind of talk through, like, what, what do we want to find out? What do we want to get a sense of at the combine? Um, and I'm going to start with a bigger one, and then we can kind of break it down as we go. Uh, we, we were looking before we got out, before we started the pod, at some of Ballard's answers on certain position groups. I, I keep thinking, like, one of the key things about this offseason is what does Ballard decide to do at positions where he has young players who you can't necessarily count on based on prior production, but they have a lot of ability, versus the idea of trading for and or drafting somebody and bringing them in and basically inserting them in the starting lineup. I think, I think that applies to the tight end position. I think that applies to safety. 
where they've got, you know, Nick Cross and, and Rodney Thomas and at free safety, but they did not get great play out of that position last year. I think it applies at corner. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got young guys that Ballard talked a lot about at the in his postseason press conference about liking. Uh, but at the same time, they brought back Gus Bradley and said, we have to give him better secondary options so he can make different calls. And, you know, at all of those spots, like, is betting on those guys to take the giant step forward? Is that, you know, how do you weigh that versus the possibility of if there's a, a true number one starting corner that's available at a price you like? a la the Stefan Gilmore signing a couple years ago, do you make that deal at that position? I, I think that's the, maybe the most interesting thing to me is that question that he's got to answer this offseason. Yeah, I think you could even throw like edge rusher in there, interestingly enough, because like he could sit here and say, hey, Dio Dangbo took a step forward, even though he's an inside-outside guy. You know, we added Samson Epicom. Quiddy Pay took a little bit of a step forward. Or they could go and look at that in the first round and say, we need a certain trait at that spot You know, that's a high investment. I don't think they're going to do it in free agency just because of the amount of money they've already locked in and resources at at edge. But like timeline-wise, it makes a lot of sense to go to go at edge there. But you know, yeah, it's a uh, you know, with Chris Ballard, like one of the criticisms over the years has been that he likes to bank on internal growth and like let certain players leave in order to just you know it's it's almost building through the draft a little bit too much when like a Danico Autry leaves or a Jack Doyle retires and uh you know or you need a left tackle Anthony Costanzo I mean they replaced him with Eric Fisher a guy he knew but then Eric Fisher left and they they went with the you know moved a, a guard to left tackle and that prior and it's weird because on some levels like some of the things he's done like can be explained by like last year at corner, outside corner being, you know, going all with young draft picks and not replacing Stefan Gilmore was about the time frame they were in. And that was more of like a rebuilding mindset. But the year before they were in like a go for it mindset and they still did that at left tackle and tight end. Now, how much of that was tied to the fact that I know at tight end specifically, it was hard to harder to sign guys when they didn't have a quarterback. They had moved off Carson Wentz. They hadn't yet traded for Matt Ryan and guys who were tight ends were like, Who's throwing me the ball? Like, what am I going to do here? And, you know, Chris Bauer doesn't like to overpay in for agency. So what he said in, in, like, his last presser was that having the quarterback settled and believing enough in that potential does open up flexibility as far as in, in aggressiveness. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like some people took that to mean a little, like, that free agency is going to be spicy. I think it probably means a little bit more about being aggressive to keep their own free agents because there's so many of them. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a question is like Stefan Gilmore is a perfect example of that. Is it two years ago, they did the Stefan Gilmore move. That was the one move they made, or, or that one was one that came after getting Matt Ryan. So that showed you they got the quarterback in place. They wanted to go for it. They paid you know, 20 million or so over two years to get Stefan Gilmore. Last year they did the opposite where they didn't, sign anybody at outside cornerback. So where do they fall this year when they've got a quarterback who is in place? Everyone knows who the starter is going to be. He's got a lot of talent. Also very young. You know, they, they are intrigued by him, but Ballard also emphasized like he's got to, you know, he's got to grow and get better and let's not crown him yet. Uh, so 
I don't know. I don't know kind of where on that scale they're going to fall, but there's kind of two extremes here. I don't think it'll be like last year, though, where it's just – and it shouldn't be like last year, where it's just another youth movement type of thing at every position because they have almost too much money to sit on to just do it that way. So it's more about, like, what positions do they go hard at? And, uh, yeah, you could you could make arguments in a few different spots for that. Yeah, I, I think let's – we'll start with tight end. and I, Tight end is a good one. We, we kind of hint – we kind of mentioned this in the last podcast, but just – we we know everybody wants Brock Bowers, but n- none of us are. I, I neither of us, I think, are are going to throw any water on that from a should they do this position. Uh, position. Um, but I think that that's one of the positions that sort of fall. Well, it doesn't sort of it. It definitely falls into the way I started this, just by saying they they don't know what they have in Jelani Woods. They've got some flashes as a rookie. They've got a year lost to injury. Uh. We, they don't know exactly what's there. They, they got a good rookie season from Will Mallory after a terrible offseason where he didn't get to really practice much. I, Based on past history, I could almost see Chris Ballard looking at it and going, well, I want to see if these young guys come along and step up in this spot rather than use his first pick on – rather than trade up for Brock Bowers or, or maybe even take him if he's there. I don't think that I would necessarily do that. <laughs> you know, like I said, like I said the, uh, the in the last podcast, if Bowers is available, like my sense from watching him is that you take him and then you just figure out where everybody else fits um, and how they fit in the offense. But could could I see Chris Ballard doing it? Yeah, uh, just because he's kind of done that at some positions before, where he's he's run with guys. And sometimes it sometimes it's worked out, sometimes it hasn't, you know. Um, and and I think that that's that's the question that looms over the tight end position. We you brought this up, but I'm going to let you talk about it. We don't really have a good answer from him from January on that position. No, it's like as long as we talked to him for like more than an hour, that was one that kind of slipped through the cracks. Where like for example, we got a definitive answer on the safety position where he said Julian Blackman played great. And that was about it. Like the other guys have to play a lot better. And then we saw the change of safeties coach. So we kind of have a feeling of what he thinks of that position. But tight end is it was difficult because you had one player in Jelani Woods that you know, he emphasized that just how much he struggled to get healthy. But we didn't get a sense for like, does that mean you think he will actually get healthy? Are you willing to bank on that? Are you not? And then Drew Ogletree at that time, it, you know, just uh, you know, he he just gotten arrested on domestic violence charges and um, he just kind of stayed away from that topic, but we didn't really get into, you know, Mo Alley Cox is a year left on his deal. Kellen Granson is in a contract year. Uh, you know, he talked a little bit about being intrigued by Will Mallory, but yeah, it's like, I don't have a sense for, do they, do they believe they have the number one tight end or do they believe they even have like the top two at that group? Um, I don't know. I, it's, it's interesting because like Mo Ali Cox is a guy that you could, you know, as you're looking around at guys who have a little higher cap number that you could think about moving on from, you know, he's going to be on that list, but you know, they've liked him and they re-signed him and he's been here for a while now and he's sort of, you know, ingrained as a leader on the team. So I don't, you could, you could see him where he says, you know, we're, we're fine with that kind of a player, but we got to get that number one tight end. 
or maybe that you know I, obviously they loved they were nervous that they were going to miss on Jelani Woods when they took him in the third round. They loved his athleticism. So how much are they holding to that? If I had to read some of his other answers, though, um, I wonder. Like when he he talked about Juju Brents, he really emphasized that like he has to get stay on the field, he has to get healthy. He said availability is the number one thing. That conversation is probably even louder with Jelani Woods. And so, how much is he willing to bank on the idea of a player, or does he find a way to create a situation where you can still get the benefit of a Jelani Woods breakout because you can use multiple tight ends? You have a coach that you really trust to scheme up opportunities for good pass catchers even if you have multiple of them and go out and get that top tight end personally i think that's what i would do that's why i I totally agree with the the brock bowers train but that one's also tough too because what if brock bowers goes number five who are the other options to be that kind of guy i don't know haven't i haven't uh dived into the draft quite enough to know that yet tight end is a very there's a reason they don't go in the top 10 very often. It's a slow developing position. It's not usually where you go to be like, hey, we need our top tight end this year. We're taking him in the draft. Brock Bowers can be that guy. I don't know how many more guys are like that in here. And Ballard's studying it, and he's a scout at heart. So uh, it'll be interesting to talk to him and see his his general feel on like the, the viability of tight ends in this draft who are not Brock Bowers. And then kind of where he, where he is with the guys he has coming back where – you can talk yourself into them in levels, but there's there's risk and there's an unproven nature to just about all of them. There's not necessarily a tight end on the free agent market. Looking at it now, that I think you you know your eyes kind of pop, and you think, well, if they if they just if they feel like Bowers is going to go high and they really want that spot, this is the guy that fixes it. If that makes sense. Um, yeah usually how the draft is like there was the year that Kyle Pitts came out and it was like, go Kyle Pitts or you get a, like if it's not that rare kind of guy, that's already been a superstar in college, you look at them often as developmental players. That's how they drafted Jelani Woods was that he was a converted quarterback who went to tight end who transferred to school and had all this athleticism, but they took him in the third round to kind of slow play him and build him up. And yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's a tough way. That's what's weird about it is if you don't – a lot of this conversation we're gearing toward is like what problems do you solve in free agency versus what problems you save for the draft. If you save tight end for the draft and it's all Brock Bowers, you, you better be confident you can get him or trade up to get him because unlike some other spots, like you can't just be like, well, we'll take whatever tight end is there. I, or they could, but I think that's less likely. Uh, So let's – just looking at the agents, let me ask you a question. If you feel like Bowers is out of reach and you really want to upgrade the tight end position, do you feel like Dalton Schultz is that much better than what you have in the room? Uh, I would say yes, because I think Dalton Ooh, Schultz, okay. what makes him interesting. 59 catches to- last year, 635 yards. Yeah. He's also a guy who can block. And so what they've struggled to find is the guys who can do both. So you have uh, Kylan Granson has made some plays as a receiver. He's not built to be a blocker. He's an F tight end. You have Mo Ali Cox has done some good things as an inline tight end. And he has moments where they scheme him up on 
they use that, you know, against the defense where they think they're running the ball and they run a trick play and they throw them down the field. But as far as a guy that you could scheme, like you can you can trust in the run game, but you can also scheme up pass plays that are, you know, that the defense is expecting. You can make him a target on like third and eight. I don't know if they have that guy here that, that can do both of those. So they've mixed and matched. And last year they kind of got by that way. But I think what would really set uh, Shane Steichen into a new, much more fun zone as a play caller is when he can add that level of deception all the time where based on the personnel, you could roll out with 11 or 12 personnel. And you don't know if that makes them more likely to throw or run. And he can kind of work the matchups of the, the opponent he's against. He can use them in the RPO game. Uh, so Dalton Schultz is a guy that uh, that, that Houston was after because he's he's got the Stanford background. So you know he's you know he's experienced. He's really smart. He's you know he he's played in that sort of uh, play action, uh, more power run type offense as a blocker. But yeah, he's caught caught fifty nine passes last year and four straight years of at least five hundred seventy seven yards, and he had uh, eight hundred and eight touchdowns with Dallas. So he's not like a He's not gonna. He's not gonna level you up to like Mark Andrews and guys like that. But I do think that like you can make an argument where if you want to swap out Moe Cox for Dalton Schultz, you'd get a competent enough blocker who who can catch the ball. And that's ultimately what I think they wanted Jelani Woods or Drew Ogletree to develop into. There's just such questions with whether those either of those guys will be here or be that. That I think Dalton Schultz could be a decent answer to say, you know what. We're not going to guess anymore. We're not going to hope. We're going to go out and get a guy that has shown he can do that and is also still in his prime at, at just uh, 27 years old. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm not convinced. I don't know. I, I, the, the production is good. I'm not convinced that I want to pay Schultz what I think he might get on the open market. Could be wrong. Yeah, well, um, that's the thing. That's the – I saw someone made this in I'm not I guess I'm not convinced enough that like maybe Will Mallory can turn into Dalton Schultz, if that makes sense. Oh um, yeah, that goes back to the conversation I just mentioned: is like how much do you want to hope versus how much do you want to know? Whereas like Bowers, I think the reason everyone's high on Bowers is kind of what you just said: like, can Bowers be a Mark Andrews? Tra- well, I mean, it's. I don't want to say Travis Kelsey. Like it's one of the best receiving tight ends of all time. That's a lot to put on a guy. But like a Mark Andrews, like a, a somebody that you really, really count uh, as like a Pro Bowl type tight end right away. You know? Um, yeah. Can he come in and be Mark Andrews or David Njoku or TJ Hawkinson? Give you a top ten if, tight end. If he could come in and be Travis Kelsey, then yes, you take him. You take trade him up. If you have. Even if you had a starter who caught fifty balls last year, like <laughs> trade next year's first and go get him if he's going to be that. Yeah, and I'm not saying yeah. and that's not me saying that's not me saying he's not going to be that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like <laughs> assuming someone is going to be one of the top four or five ever to play his position is is I I don't think you should ever put that on any draft prospect. Yeah, and Dalton Schultz is a great example of kind of what is tricky with free agency and why I think Chris Ballard in general doesn't love it that much is it often feels like you're paying a prices for B players. And I saw someone made this analogy and I, I, I apologize the person who made it cause I forget 
who it was, but it's a great analogy where he said like, free agency, free agency is fun to talk about. You get excited like looking out at this time of year before the franchise tax, but when it actually gets here, it's a lot like shopping for groceries in a storm. Like there's not very much left and the things that are left are way overpriced. And so that's kind of like Dalton Schultz to me is you're, you're going to have this question of like, do you want to bite the bullet there? Because it's not a star player. It's not going to go, you know, he's not going to be Mark Andrews, but can you afford to whiff at that spot or can you not? And honestly, a couple of years ago, they should have found some way to do that back when they had, I mean, it wouldn't have saved their season with what went on with Matt Ryan, the offensive line, but looking back at that plan to replace Jack Doyle by just moving Mo Alley Cox in that spot and drafting a rookie for a quarterback that lives through the tight end, that like that was a spot where they should have said, you know what, we ju- we just can't afford a whiff here. Same thing they should have done left tackle, even if it meant getting just an okay guy that you paid a lot for. But some position, it's not worth doing that. And like that's what's so tough with tight end this year is like, do you, do you would you sign Dalton Schultz and trade up for Brock Bowers in the same year? That seems like a lot. Probably not. And, so I don't and, think that's out of Bowers just to get Dalton Schultz. And after what you saw from Will Mallory last year, like if you don't have a Schultz or whatever, like can Will Mallory catch 45 balls? Yeah. What, what Without, I mean, doesn't Jelani have like the downfield, doesn't have the downfield stuff of like a, the possibility of a Jelani Woods breakout. Jelani Woods as a breakout player is, is much more of the stream of the, the seam stretcher, I think in terms of the long speed and everything like that. But, you know, that's that's where you get really I think that's where you really get to weighing it. Whereas like, you know, if with Bowers, if you think he's a, if if you think he's what everybody seems to think he is, if you think he's a pro bowler, that's where I think maybe in this situation it's like, okay, well, we've got these young players, but we think this guy could be a star and we're not sure they they've they've had a chance and haven't done it yet. Um how do you what else what else are you looking at? Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say it's interesting with Jelani Woods, too, because you could say I don't want to bank on the Jelani Woods breakout when he hasn't shown it, but also you want to be able to benefit if it does happen. But if you have two tight ends above him, like how many passes is he going to catch? Right. You know? But what guys do you pass on to have that? That's what's really hard about that position. Uh, what else What else do you have lingering questions from uh, from January that you want answered next week? I mean, I, of course, we like want answers. I'm not sure how specific they'll get on it, but like, yeah. I'm curious about what type of backup quarterback they want now that they know they have Anthony Richardson. So, if you take it back a year ago, they signed Gardner Minshew before the draft. The idea being this is a guy we could start if we need to because he knows the coaching staff and the system, but they didn't know at that point if they were going to get. Uh, I think they knew at that point they weren't going to get Bryce Young because everyone knew he was going number one or at least seemed likely, but they didn't know if Anthony Richardson was going to be the guy, if he was going to go at number three, if C.J. Stroud was going to fall, if it was like now they know exactly the type of quarterback they have and they have had him in their building for a year with Anthony Richardson. What do you need behind him? Like is it is it the continuity and familiarity with Gardner Minshew, who he trains with and – you know, in nose, or is it more like a different style of 
player? Does it still need to be a veteran quarterback? Like you still feel like Anthony just hasn't had a lot of reps. He still needs that veteran voice, but maybe you want a different style, more of like a, a guy who can run a little bit like Tyler Huntley or Tyrod Taylor, or maybe it's even possible that they're like, you know what? We're, we're that much in love with Anthony ready to unleash him. We just want to kind of build that backup spot through the draft. I really don't, I don't know where they stand on this other than the fact that and they talked about, they talked more, Ballard talked more about like Gardner Minshew, you know, wants to be a starter, you know, had a good year. I don't, I, I didn't, I, I would like to know a little bit more of just how much they want him back. Like if, if he's not a starter, will you, do you want to outbid other teams to make him a highly paid backup? Or do you want to go in a different direction? Because it's just, it's, they can really narrow their focus now that they know it's Anthony Richardson. He's our starter. What kind of backup do we need for Anthony? And I feel like there's a couple different directions you could go in from that spot. Yeah. Uh, I, I like your, I like your point about maybe we won't get like definitive answers because some of these questions are like, some of these questions are Shane Steichen and Shane Steichen does not, he's not a fan of super detailed uh, answers on a lot of stuff. So um, yeah. The backup quarterback thing is interesting. I, I'm kind of operating on the assumption that Minshew is going to get a chance to do something for more money next year. I think um, so too. And and with more start with more chance to be a starter. And that, that means that that spot's open. I, I, I'm with you. I, I want to know like do you want to have the, the offense fit? Um do you would you prefer to save a little money there? Knowing that you had a three and a half million, I mean, it ended up being like closer to five and a half. It ended up being five and a half because of the um, incentives. But like, do you, would you rather? Do you think that you can get away with not spending the top backup price? I mean, you, you kind of did it last year. Um, nine and eight is much better than you expected any season when you lose your starting quarterback for fourteen games or whatever it was. I, I'm also interested. We got a lot of answers about what Chris Ballard thought of the young defensive backs. A direction, I don't know that we got. Great. Looking, like I'm looking through his transcript again now. And that, that piece about like the, 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 the juxtaposition, I think, of why they brought back Gus Bradley. Um. Like just just to remind everybody, this is what Chris Ballard said about about Gus Bradley uh, and and his defense of him. Uh, in a little bit of defense, the year before he comes in, and we kind of had I don't want to say a veteran team, but we had some veteran players. Then I just said, look, we're going to go young in some spots. We went young in the secondary, and look, there were some rough moments at times in the secondary, and I don't completely put that on the coaching staff. I put that more on me. But how do you ever develop any continuity, especially with your own guys, if you don't just play them? So I decided to go young. We took our lumps, took our lumps at times, but I think it's going to pay off down the line for them. I, 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 there are questions with all three of the corners that you would throw out there. Yeah. Um, Juju Brents has an injury question. Uh, Dallas Flowers is coming off of an Achilles tear. And and with Jalen Jones, I, I think it was very good um, for where he was drafted. 
but he did fall off late. And the sense of like he just I to me, I just don't think he established himself as a starter as like a clear, obvious starter in the NFL going forward. I think it's possible. But I don't think I don't think you have something from a, a rookie season for him where you're like definitely yes, especially the way things kind of went there towards the end of the season. So that's another spot that like he said a lot of good things about those guys, and he obviously set it up so that they were going to develop. But doesn't it feel like doesn't it feel like that's a spot that you you want at the very least some more options? in case injuries happen or a, or, a, or, a, or a regression happens or, you know, like in terms of the like regression piece of it, Rodney Thomas, who maybe his, his uh, rookie season was overplayed a little bit just because everything looks so bad and any kind of silver lining looked good. But Rodney Thomas looked like a, a clear start, starter going forward at free safety as a seventh round pick coming out of his rookie year. And last year really struggled in the same defense with the same coaches and everything. So, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see if and he'll probably say something along the lines of we're going to add competition. I, I really want to know what, what he means by that competition. Yeah, because, you know, he loves to add back of the roster guys. And if you're talking like day three competition, like I'm curious to see just how high of a swing, how high of a ceiling they're willing to give themselves at those outside spots because – it is interesting to figure out kind of where he's at with Jalen Jones. They're very happy. What's clear is they're very happy with him as a seventh-round pick. And I think by any metric, you would say they nailed the seventh-round pick, at least as far as where we sit now. And well, I think he'd, Thomas, already paid off his, he'd already paid off his value. If you're a seventh-round pick and you, you're a starter for any season in the NFL, you've already far outstripped like where you got picked. Yeah. But I see sure. where you're going with it. You keep going. Well, I was saying you made a good comparison to Rodney Thomas because that was the same case for him. But that doesn't mean that that seventh-round pick is now the solution going forward as a starter. If Jalen Jones is like your number three corner and plays some on special teams, that can be a great use of a seventh-round pick too. So how far do they want to stretch the idea that they nailed that seventh-round pick? Uh, that'll be interesting because I do think like – those two, it's very interesting now that I think about Rodney Thomas versus Jalen Jones because Rodney, I felt like, also fell off a little bit at the end of his rookie year. Um, most notably, the, the play that stands out was when he uh, jumped too early and allowed the Hail Mary against the Texans, and that got washed away because it was like, you know, they got a better draft spot for it anyway. But it's not like he was, you know, that played into this that, – that then went into this year and he, he regressed kind of back – um, still a good seventh round pick, but not not what you'd hope. Jalen Jones, late in the season, kind of had some of those issues as well, specifically as a tackler. But I think there were moments where they, you know, teams were targeting him, the Raiders and the the Texans in the passing game. And so you're weighing like how much of that was just well, rookies are going to have some struggles. He had a rookie wall versus maybe this player, like while he's a really good seventh round pick, isn't quite ready to very tough position to be like our guy there i think when you combine those two things though the the youth concerns with or the, the those concerns with jalen jones just how just how high is the ceiling how ready is he with the durability concerns of those other two dallas flowers and juju brents 
I, it would be pretty bad to me if they just rolled that group back. Uh, and if the competition they added was just like late picks or, you know, street free agents that didn't cost low level, low yeah. level for you. Like, you a, like, like a Brandon Faison doesn't excite you. Yeah, it doesn't. So like, I've seen like a lot of people have them mocked a cornerback in the first round because that's their big need. And there's some good ones. Maybe that's the route they go. Like when I looked into this and I tried to do like the, you know, I did like a 10 part plan thinking through this. I thought what made more sense given those concerns, if the concerns are durability and youth answer those with someone who's durable and not young. So like a guy like Kendall Fuller in free agency stood out to me as like, that could be a pretty good swing. That's not quite Stefan Gilmore level pay, uh, but close probably actually, cause he's younger, uh, maybe a little bit more staying power, but I could see them where they create a situation where like maybe Jalen Jones and Juju Brents combined for one starting spot, um, you know, play off each other or like Jalen Jones backs up Juju Brents who has to get over those injuries in the first place. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a question though, because the whole idea last year was like, we're going to draft three corners and we hope we find some starters. And if he's excited enough about uh, Jalen Jones, then maybe he thinks he already found them and is going to save a lot of money at that premium spot to spend elsewhere. Uh, but ultimately I think based on those comments he had about Gus Bradley not being at fault for, you know, as much at fault for the secondary play because they were so young. I think they got to do something more than just roll the whole group back. Even if you re-sign Julian Blackman and Kenny Moore, yes, they get an extra year of continuity. The rookies are now sophomores. But is that enough of a solution to these major problems ahead you like 28th in scoring? Or are we right back in the same spot next year of like, hey, you said this was the issue it didn't really change anything. I, I think between either free safety or outside corner, that's where I think they should probably take a swing. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of in the same in the same boat. Like, just especially just dealing with the, just dealing with the, the, the Gus Bradley portion of it all, like. So much of this ends up coming down to like, are you betting on the best case scenario with your, are you betting on the absolute best case scenario with your uh, young guys or are you going to allow for the possibility that it doesn't go according to plan? Um, and I think at the corner position, I, <laughs> is it, uh, it's it's not really easy to 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 do this in the NFL, but realistically, you should try to have as many guys that you can think it, that you think can start at cornerback as possible, mm-hmm. um, because it's a volatile position in terms of performance. Um, it's really hard to sustain excellent play year over year. Um, it's hard, and, and and that's true for all levels of play. It's hard to sustain great play year over year. It's hard to sustain good play year over year. It's also a position where injuries, if you don't have depth, can really hurt you really fast. Um, you want as many of them as possible. The safety, free safety, is just such an interesting spot with this team because you do have two guys that you've invested in, one with a third-round pick and then the other one with a lot of playing time so far. And and they really and, and at times they're consistent. Like Ballard said it flat out. 
I'll see if I can go find the exact quote, but he said flat out, like you alluded to, that that was a position that um, clearly caused problems for them last year. Um, and I think the reaction, the reaction to the question, uh, it was what it's, it's, anybody could ask this, but <laughs> I just asked, how do you see the safety position? And he he responded by kind of leaning back in his chair and said. I was waiting for that. That's good. Like usually when he says that's good, like that's a, it, it's when he feels like you've hit on something kind of. Um, and he started out by talking about the strong safeties. And then he said, I do think we've got to get more consistency out of the free safety position. That's not quite a knock because they're both young players. Rodney Thomas had some good moments. Nick Cross had, Cross had some really good moments, but we need more consistent moments from that position. That's a really, really tough spot. Um, I think that that maybe even more than the tight end position is the heart. It goes, gets to the heart of what I was saying earlier about how do you weigh? I have young players that I have some belief in, and can they take the next step? Versus, I'm going to go get a free safety who's essentially going to have to start, and those guys have to figure out how to get their careers going a different way. Yeah. It is interesting to compare those two tight end and free safety because the guys that you would think should be like the guys that should be in those spots right now were both third round picks in the same draft. Uh, you know, one was Nick Cross and one was Jelani Woods, and both were more in the developmental mindset. Uh, you know, where they were gonna, uh, you know, because Jelani Woods is big a position change and he's you know tight end takes a little bit longer. Nick Cross, because he was so young, he was the youngest player in the entire NFL. They basically figured out quickly, probably not quickly enough because they started him to start his rookie year, but they found out that he needed a redshirt year. But at like this stage, after two years, does either guy tell you like, yeah, he's he's our top guy there? Or does it feel risky? Because like both could have breakouts. Nick Cross, in moments, uh, he did flash. Super athletic. A, what? Yeah, he had a... He had a great tackle against uh, the Buccaneers where he came from so much depth as a single high safety and stopped what looked like it was going to be a sure first down and helped win that game. You know, He had a, a gorgeous pick over the head of George Pickens uh, against the Steelers. You can see it. You see it on special teams when he blocks a punt and leads them in special teams tackles. That skill set is there, but so little proof that it is going to – play out in a reliable way at a position that is very volatile. We saw that at the final game when it, uh, you know, first play of the game, CJ Stroud went just bombs deep to, uh, to Nico Collins where uh, Nick Cross was supposed to drop back and he didn't drop back. And so that's the kind of stuff that's like, how confident can you be that you can iron that out when it's been two years and like two years is a long time in the NFL. And, but it's just totally different questions because Jelani is all about stuff he can't really control as much, like health, but you still got to be on the field. With Nick Cross, it hasn't been injuries, but it's been, you know, the, either the willingness of Gus Bradley to trust him or once we've seen him on the field is that that consistency at a position that's like if you whiff as a free safety, it can be an 80-yard touchdown. And like how how willing are you to live that way going into next year? Uh, what's hard with that is that's another position kind of like tight end that I struggle a little bit more with finding what the 
solution to that is because it would be wonderful to just go. I, I would be all for if they just want to dump all their money on Antoine Winfield Jr. I don't think there's a salary that's really too high for him in free agent terms because he pretty much had a Shaquille Leonard prime stat line last year uh, and does all the things you want to do and can play in multiple schemes and whatnot, but he's not going to hit free agency because he's going to be franchise tagged. And so can a rookie come in and do this or does a rookie present the same questions you have with Nick Cross, which is, is he young? Is he too young? Does he not have enough experience? Is he ready for this uh, unique type of difficult role in the back end of a defense in a passing league? It's, uh, it's not it's not in a great spot to be in in a spot like that. Yeah, just some really interesting stuff in terms of just from a sheer numbers and options standpoint, this Colts roster, you can see uh, where it's like, okay, there's maybe not an obvious need other than like they need at least one more wide receiver, probably two. Um and if, if they don't resign Michael Pittman, they need like just all wide receivers. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but outside of like that position, like there's a bunch of other spots. Um, you know, tight end. Well, it's interesting. Tight wide end, receiver, safety corner. Keep going. I'll just ask you about wide receiver. Is that like what's interesting about it is when I did the ten part plan, I had I threw out like Josh Reynolds as a guy I thought they could maybe sign to be like the number four tight end who can back up in the outsides. I had people on one hand say, some people said he's not going to accept like a number four role. They're going to have to go like, they don't need that big of a player for a number four role. I had other people like, you know, shout out Kevin Bone when I went on his show, who didn't think that was a big enough swing, that that wasn't a solution to that outside role. So it comes down to kind of what, how do you, how much do you believe in Alec Pierce who a little bit, to a lesser degree than the guys we just talked about, but is a little bit in that camp of like, he's put in uh, two seasons now. There's flashes where you can certainly talk yourself into it. There's not proof yet of like what he can ultimately be. There's obvious, um, I guess, reasons why they haven't been able to tap into that with the quarterbacks he's played with, but you are still projecting at that spot to be like, he is definitely going to fit and be, our number two or number three guy. I think the fact that Josh Downs is here and hits so well changes that math because I don't think Pierce has to be like the number two guy in receptions. He could be number three or three in production. But I do think there's you could you could talk yourself into a, a conversation with of do they need to upgrade that second spot or are they completely fine there or should they just totally give Alec Pierce that chance to play with Anthony Richardson and just look for a backup at that spot. I think I know where you stand on this, but um, it was just interesting to see kind of like, I saw two very different camps on that when I put that out there. If, uh, if Pittman is back, then I look at Pittman and downs as the number one and number two in terms of volume targets. And yeah. then Pierce Pierce as a number three, but like sort of, so, I mean, this, this is sort of a classic number three. Like, it's very, very, very common in the NFL and has been for a long time to have a uh, maybe not as many, not, not as much of a high catch volume, but high explosive ability type receiver as your number three. So the catch numbers aren't huge, but the yardage numbers are huge, which is what 
Yeah. Chris Ballard said they thought they think he gets deep really well. Um, but also his numbers fit that so far, you know, he's in the, he's in both of his seasons. He's been up above 15 yards per catch, uh, even with the quarterbacks he's played with. Like, so I, I think the addition though, the additions though would just be like, I just keep looking at my stat sheet, my wide, my wide receiver stat sheet and seeing Alec Pierce, 1,084 snaps. Michael Pittman Jr., 882 snaps, which is that's mostly due to the concussion. Otherwise, he'd be up there with with Pierce. Um, and then Josh Downs, 788 snaps. And then after that, the next player on the list is DJ Montgomery, 124 snaps. And just about every other year. Now, granted, different coaching staffs. Um. But I think, I think typically, whether it's because of injury, whether it's because of role, whether it's because of how you can rotate guys in and out uh, positionally, typically there's four guys at least who end up playing in the 300 snap range or more. And the Colts got really lucky last year that um, the Colts got really, really lucky last year that they ended up with three receivers who missed a combined one game. Yeah. I don't think it's realistic for that to happen every year. It's just not. Um, and, and so they, they need more players there. I actually thought um, Andy Sweeney, when I was on the radio with, with him and KB uh, was like sign one and draft one. And I don't hate that veteran on a one year deal, draft a receiver, wherever you draft him. And, Honestly, just let, like, at some point, at some point, just let the the offense or the injuries or whatever, like, it seems like we've got too many guys for all the snaps. Well, you probably don't. You probably don't have too many guys for all the snaps because of injury or ineffectiveness or something that doesn't turn out the way you think it's going to. So I, I, I was kind of on board with that idea, like sign one and draft one. Um, yeah. But in terms of how I see them now, I, I think it can work if those three are your top three. But I think a lot of people look at Alec Pierce and say, like, he has to be an 80-catch guy for that pick to, to count. I think there's a world where he's got, you know, 45 to 50 catches, and he's very, very, very valuable to this team because of the, uh, of the yardage that you're getting in that. Yeah, for sure. And when you talk about like those other two second-year players we've mentioned, Jelani Woods and Nick Cross, the comparison with Alec Pierce is he hasn't proven like a ceiling like those guys. But the reasons are very different. Is that it hasn't been injuries. It isn't. You don't have a durability question with him, and you don't have a question of like, is he locked in, dialed in enough? Do we trust to have him on the field? Because of what you just said, they trust him for basically every snap. Uh, the, they can fall back and say, we have failed the situation for Alec Pierce by not having quarterbacks who could throw down the field for more than like, you know, parts of four games with Anthony Richardson. And so there's that unknown out there, but it's still like, I think you got to give him that chance to be what you drafted him to be when he hasn't given you a reason to believe he's not that meaning that downfield deep threat. And yeah, I mean, fans, I think are going to be disappointed when you, he was the first pick in that draft, and so you hope that that type of player would amount to more than a somewhat one-dimensional type of piece. 
Um, I, and I had questions at the time whether he would add enough versatility to be more than that. But the bottom line is, look, we haven't gotten to see him tap into that top trait because of what's been around him. And I think like this year, the evaluation for him should be more like long-term is like, okay, how high is that ceiling? Can he, can he do this and be more versatile? Is he a guy that like you look to extend in the future or is he more just like, you know, a guy that, that fills one role? Like, I think there'll be more like he's going to answer some questions going into 2025, but I don't think you go into 2024 with the same unknowns as like Chelani Woods or Nick Cross because I think Pierce has shown more and he hasn't had the same dips or major concerns about focus level or, or durability or any of that. And that's why, yeah, I think they really need a guy that, that can step in and add to that. And I do think, to be fair, they do need another target who can kind of work a little bit more of that stuff he's not as good at, the middle of the field, intermediate zone. That's why I like a guy like Josh Reynolds or someone of that type of number four, kind of like an inverse of Pierce would be good. That's also where I think improving the tight end position can just do that too. Like if they were to add a Brock Bowers, I don't – if it all comes together, um, I don't think we would be talking about Alec Pierce's lack of volume and catches when you have the amount that Michael Pittman Jr. and Josh Downs and if you had Brock Bowers, the amount of passes those guys would catch, they should get a lot of volume. And so if Pierce is adding that like explosive threat, I think that's exactly the complement to those type of players you need because not everyone can catch you know, 70-plus passes. To your point, uh, Shane Steichen's Philadelphia Eagles offense that went to the Super Bowl 95 catches for Devontae Smith uh, 88 for A.J. Brown and 55 for Dallas Goddard and then uh, Watkins was the next one with 33 catches so if if you have a, a true um, you know high volume difference maker at tight end it absolutely lessens the need for that, that third ride wide receiver to be hyper productive mm-hmm um, well, the, the combine is up. We're gonna coming up next week. Week we're gonna have actual uh, stuff that the Colts have said. We'll see how much of it is different, how much of it changes what we're looking at. Um, we're gonna look a little bit at some prospects too, uh, and and write some of their stories as well. Nate and I'll be out there uh, basically all week. We'll probably do this this podcast from there next week uh, for the Colts Cover Two podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson. This has been Nate Atkins. Uh, we will see you in downtown, coming from downtown Indy next week.